0: That's an extraordinary statement that we often take for granted. God loves us. His intent, in fact, is to bring good in you and uh, to you and through you, such is the the nature of his love. And, And we could read hundreds of passages through the pages of scripture that would underscore this reality let me just read three of those for you one of them is a little longer than the other but here's the first one the old testament prophet jeremiah promised the first people of god this jeremiah 29 11. i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future Listen to what the writer of the, of the book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter three, verse one. My son, isn't that awesome? Like God would refer to you as daughter or as son. Like that is personal and it is real. My son, do not forget my teaching. Now this is, uh, this is the, the wise proverb writer, bringing wise counsel, in this case to sons and daughters, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years, and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablets of your heart, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord, and with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight, Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. And then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, you will sleep; your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared." What an amazing comfort. God loves you. One more. God's friend Job declares this. Job 23.10. He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Now, Now we happen to know more of the story than Job knew at that point. God was testing Job, but Satan was directly involved. So, so God loves you, but there is an adversary who is working against God's purposes for you. In fact, God loves you. His intent is to bring good to you, in you, and through you. And God has already given us his very best in Jesus. The, the work of Jesus The rescue of Jesus, the equipping of Jesus are for your good and for his glory. So I'm beginning to describe here God's purposes in our realm, in our world. He loves you, and we'd be remiss to forget that we have an adversary who's working against his purposes. In fact, we could say it like this. Satan, the devil, is working to derail or to at least delay God's redemptive plans. Now, I want to invite you into the full of God's redemptive plan for you. Now, following, if you will, this morning, into Ephesians chapter six, it's gonna be on the screen. You can look it up. I'll be in the new international version. I'd encourage you to download the sermon notes from the website or onto your app. Uh, We leave copies on your way in as well. There's questions on the back that I'd encourage you to dig into this week and and go a little bit deeper in the content that we're going to cover here in in a portion of Ephesians chapter 6. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that he helped start in the ancient city of Ephesus. I've got a map here for you. Um, If you look above the word Rhodes and below the word Asia, maybe put it full screen. Would you do that, guys? Uh, Make sure that folks at home can see it. Above Rhodes, below Asia, and you'll see there is Ephesus kind of across the the, the body of water from modern-day Greece the corner of modern-day Turkey. Now, much of the world in the first century had a very active uh, perception of the unseen spiritual realm. This was not something that was strange to them. And this was true of the Hebrew people as well. Uh, We encounter an evil being speaking through a serpent of all things. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Deuteronomy 32, 8 describes spiritual entities assigned to the nations. But Yahweh alone, God alone, is attending to Israel. Uh, the, The Old Testament prophet Daniel tells us about a a visitation of an angel that came to him, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, and the angel explains that he was delayed in bringing a response to Daniel because he was doing battle with a demonic, a territorial demon that he describes as the prince of the Persian kingdom. And then the archangel Michael came, engaged in the battle so this angel could come to Daniel with the message that he'd been sent from the throne room of heaven to bring to Daniel. mean, this sounds like, I don't know, New Age fantasy? What does it sound like? Does it sound like something from a movie plot or something like that? Fantasy fiction to us as modern readers? And yet for, for the for the first readers of the Old Testament and the New, this, this was how they saw the world. They, they knew these kinds of things. And in modernity, we have so often rationalized away the reality that we are not alone. That there is a spiritual reality going on around us that we ignore to our own peril. Paul has been, throughout this letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he has been touching on the need for the church to be aware of this spiritual reality. We must not ignore the unseen realm. Uh, He talks about the fact that new followers of Jesus uh, were coming into the church And they were bringing kind of ideas that they had gathered in their life thus far, but they weren't biblical ideas that needed to be corrected. And then he's also been reminding us that we need to be equipped because we are engaged in a spiritual battle. But the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Now that's just kind of a brief introduction to the background of Paul writing this letter in Ephesians chapter 6. Let me just read this for you. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, Paul is kind of wrapping up some things that he's been saying through this letter. This is kind of the beginning of his conclusion to this letter. He's going to repeat some of the things that he's already touched on earlier in the letter. Finally, We're going to look at this for a few minutes and and, and kind of divide up what Paul is describing. There are at least three questions that immediately come to my mind when I read through this passage. And I put them on your outline, the sermon outline this morning. The first is, what are the devil's schemes? What's Paul talking about there? The second is, what is this armor that he's describing? And the third is, where does Paul say my strength comes from? So, so, So what are the devil's schemes? What's this armor about? And then, where does my strength come from? So, firstly, the devil's schemes. We know from the very first chapters of the first book of the Bible that an evil being is working against God's purposes. Genesis 3, he tempts Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis 6, this strange reference to the sons of God and the daughters of man seems to be, if nothing else, evidence of further corruption going on in God's human race. Uh, further corruption, uh, further rebellion happened in the garden, happens again in Genesis 6, happens again in, uh, uh, and actually after that one in Genesis 6, God bring, brings judgment through the flood. But then it happens again, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel incident, and we find once again humanity is corrupted and is refusing to do what God had commissioned us to do back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and manage it. There's lots more we could say about all of that, okay? Uh, but, but God brought, again brought judgment, power of Babel. So so we see right from the very beginning of the very first book of the Bible that the stage has been set, that there is an adversary that's working against God's purposes, his plans. He's scheming. What, What immediately follows actually in the Genesis account is God's selection of Abram. God determines that he will work through a particular family in order to further his redemptive Purposes. He's persevering. That's such as the nature of God, because of His immense love for us. In order to accomplish His purpose of redeeming or rescuing humanity out of this sin, restoring them to Himself, God will work a plan through Abram, became Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of Israel. Now, there's much more that we could say about this, but it's a bit of an introduction to to what's behind Paul's warning and his instruction. He says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, now, some scholars read this, and that list that I just read, rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil, uh, some see that as hierarchies, within the spiritual realm? Others say, no, 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 this is actually a recapitulation. This is four different ways of saying the same thing. You can think about that. Here's what the apostle Peter says about it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Instructions to the church. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to de- devour. What are we to do about it? Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So if that's a little bit about the scheming that the devil is involved in, what what about the armor that God has given to us? Let me just read it again, verse 13. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground So Paul's goal here in in his instruction is that you would stand your ground. So on the one hand, uh, there's a picture of survival. Uh, When when the battle finally dies down, Paul would say, I want you still on your feet. I want you still standing. But there's also, he he, he commissions to us offensive, offensive weapons so that it's not just about protecting yourself, protecting your church, protecting your family. It's about advancing God's purposes, advancing his kingdom work in this world. The picture that's being painted here is the, the, the picture, well, it's probably the picture of a Roman soldier's weaponry. I've got a picture for you here, Um, the armor described here would be the body armor that a Roman soldier wore in Paul's day, breastplate protection, protection for uh, the abdomen, uh, shield, helmet, sword, but there also seems to be something else going on in Paul's language. He also seems to be referencing something that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah was saying, Isaiah was talking about God as a warrior who puts on his armor and defends his people and and goes out in advance of us and so Paul seems to be bringing together these images in order that we would begin to recognize that you and I have been enlisted such that we are to join in the battle that God is engaging in and he is equipping you with his armor suited for you fit right for you in the midst of a spiritual battle that is there. The the, the Roman soldier imagery has another kind of interesting connection. Those shield that the Roman soldiers would carry, large rectangular shield, plywood construction, um, when they'd soak them in water, and, and then when a flaming arrow was shot at them, it would extinguish the flaming arrow. But it also speaks of a need for one another. The the Roman soldiers, you can go to the next slide for me, the Roman soldiers would be organized in groups of eight within their group of a hundred, but they would lock their shields together for mutual defense. It it became a way to advance into battle, uh, to stand in battle and retreat when necessary, protecting one another. There was a together component to how that warfare was engaged. that gives us a bit of a picture of the scheming of the evil one of the armor that God has given to us but then we need to ask but where does the real power and the real strength come from because Paul's addressed this as well let me take you back to the first part of the passage we read Ephesians 6 verse 10 Paul writes this he says finally be strong in the Lord and in his might mighty power Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So so the point would be that we are entirely dependent upon the Lord's strength, the Lord's might, the Lord's power, the Lord's armor. Now there's a, a together piece for us, small groups, large group. There's a piece where we need one another. But we need one another empowered by God because he is the one in whom we stand. So so let's drill down into that a little bit further. How do I stand strong in the Lord? What would I do in order to find myself obedient to that instruction from Paul? Well, Paul's been talking about this through his letter. So let me just give you a quick review of some of the things that, that we find written by Paul to the church in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. We can divide it into two sort of ways of thinking, two types of instruction. He he brings instruction concerning that which we need to know. If you want to stand strong in the Lord, in the midst of that opposition that we face, there's that which you need to know, and there is that which you need to do. That which you need to know, Ephesians 1, 3. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You need to know that you have everything that you need in Christ. You need to know Ephesians two six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is a picture of of your spiritual position. You are seated in a place of honor with God, with full access to God's, God's power and his authority. Uh, you need to know this. If you're going to engage in, in, in the battles, the spiritual battles of this life, wisely, carefully, uh, effectively. Uh, chapter three, Paul speaks about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, and he prays this over us. What we need to know, Ephesians 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. Who will strengthen you? God will strengthen you. Out of what resource? His glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through Faith. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. We opened up John 14, and this promise of the Father that was being fulfilled, this promise that God, the Holy Spirit, would come and reside in and equip each of us to walk with Christ. The Holy Spirit would, would remind, would teach us, and would remind us of everything that Christ, that Jesus taught. Now here Paul is saying, This Holy Spirit is who you, you, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Love that surpasses knowledge, love that is beyond what we can possibly comprehend, and filled to the measure of all the fullness of God himself. This is what we need to know. This is what we need to know. But, but Paul gets even more practical here. He's, what do we need to do? Ephesians four eleven, For Christ himself... Gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Okay, so did you catch those gifts that Christ has given to his church in order to prepare us for what we need to be doing—works of service. Apostles, the, the prophets, the, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. I don't know if you've ever thought about those who stir us toward evangelism because God has called them to do so. Or those who speak a word into the assembly at a time when we need to hear it. The prophets. Those who just are always starting something new. They're always dreaming new dreams. The, the apostles going into territory that we've never gone before. Our role as pastors and teachers is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. This is chapter 4, deceitful scheming shows up again in chapter 6, so, so Paul's underscoring the fact that under what seems to be human mach- machinations, human strategies, human scheming, is actually uh, the evil work of Satan, who is scheming to undo God's purposes. I stand against it. How? By being part of the church which Christ has equipped in order that we would be ready Chapter 4 of Ephesians, chapter 5. So we've we've talked about that which we need to know. We're talking about that which we need to do. Chapter 5 speaks about the need for moral purity. What you do matters. That we should wake up and be wise, making the most of every opportunity is what Paul describes. He says, Because the days are evil. Understand what the Lord's will is, he says, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and then walk in mutual submission with one another. He describes our our relationship together as a family unit, as a church unit. That which we need to know and that which we need to do. And then immediately following this warfare armor description, Ephesians 6, Paul prays this. He says, uh, he says this rather. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions and pray also for me, that I, will be fear, that I will fearlessly proclaim the gospel. And we're going to look into that passage in detail a couple of Sundays from now. We're going to talk about prayers, My favorite sermon title in this series, powerlifting. Lifting." We're going to become better at it. anyway I, But we're, we're going to get serious about prayer. But, but notice for now this much: that Paul notice what Paul does not say. He does not say, in light of the spiritual war that we are in, pray for me that I might fight against the oppressive Roman dictators who are violating every human right and every human dignity imaginable. That's not his first concern. That's a concern that we want to pay attention to as a church. It's not his first concern. Rather, Paul says, pray also for me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Because that is the only hope for the world who is enslaved under this oppressive spiritual realm that that, that has been, the lid's been cracked on through the the pages of history. What we need to know, what we need to do, where does my strength come from? How do we access this strength? So here's another way of thinking about this. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the writers use a a metaphor of, of, they describe the church, they describe us as Christians, as athletes. Um, And and they use the language of running to win the race that's been set out before us. Uh, And they they describe the training necessary. You don't just climb off your sofa and dust, dust the chips off your belly and then go and win a 5K race, okay? It just doesn't work that way. Training is necessary. Here, Paul's using the metaphor of military engagement, okay, the metaphor of battle, but the same principle applies. You don't just step into the middle of a battlefield unprepared. It's suicide. It's it's ridiculous. It would be insanity. You prepare for the battle. Now, the reality is we are in the battle, so this is kind of building the bridge while we walk on it stuff, This is the need to get better equipped in the midst of it, to become fit, to become ready, toning the muscles to the work that needs to be there, adding skill to our hands such that we can manage the sword, which is the word of God. We We need to be building skill and fitness and readiness together as followers of Jesus. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk more about prayer in particular because that's fundamental, But what are you going to do to get fit? How are you going to proceed if you were to be better able to address the things Paul's describing here? Dr. Clinton Arnold, um, scholar, New Testament scholar, he writes this, there is the certainty that believers will face concerted demonic attack at various intervals through their lives in this present evil age. It is therefore imperative to grow deeper in a knowledge of God's gifts and cultivate the practices essential to dependence on the unsurpassed power of God. So are you going to get fit? God loves you and he has prepared, he's given you all the resources necessary to, to, to be successful in life despite the fact that there is an adversary that we are fighting against. But, but, but what are you doing to get fit? What does your daily workout routine look like? What, what, is your, what is your weekly training schedule? What do you include in your weekly training schedule? What are you doing to increase your spiritual fitness and then maintain it so, so that you are tuned and ready for a spiritual battle that's going on around you, and there will be times when you will need to engage in it. We often refer to spiritual practices that contribute to strengthening of one another. These are gifts, tools that God has given to His church, spiritual practices. I, I encourage you to download the sermon notes, uh, even if, if, if at the close of the service you do this, because on, on the back of the sermon notes are, are some links that would take you into some further discussion, the, the text, some of the biblical texts that I've touched on this morning, uh, but then there's an opportunity to go a little bit deeper through the course of this week. So, so what are the spiritual practices that we would typically see in the pages of Scripture as equipping us? Well, well th- there would be the practice of daily prayer. Constant prayer is how Paul describes it. First Thessalonians 5. He says, Pray continually. Well, that's going to require some some training to do that. It's going to require adding some knowledge. It's going to require some practice in order to pray continually. Um, Daily scripture reading. Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8 31. Paul tells Timothy that truth matters. So much, he says, that you, sh- you must watch your life and your doctrine closely. First uh, Timothy four sixteen. The apostle John warned that, that by knowing and living in the Scriptures we overcome the evil one. By knowing and living in the Scriptures, First John two fourteen. So daily constant prayer, daily Scripture reading, uh, weekly fellowship. I mean, it's wonderful to be together here, and I know that the last year and a half have been severely stressed as to how we fellowship together, and yet we've persevered. We've found a way to do so. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this: He says that when we gather, however it is, we spur one another on by meeting together. He says that we are encouraging one another. Now, do you get that? Your training is not just about your own fitness. Your training is also about our fitness. You have a part to play in encouraging me and I encouraging you and one another. This is part of what we are called together for the purpose of. Hebrews says that we need to all the more do this as we see the day approaching. The more evil the day is, the more we are going to need one another. The term spiritual discipline uh, seems to have kind of fallen out of favor and yet discipline is a very, very helpful word in the midst of this conversation because discipline is part of what I need. Uh, I need to build some routines that are going to equip me so that I can be faithful, put structures in place that will help me so that when when I'm feeling weak, when I'm feeling apathetic, when I just don't want to do it, there are some things that are around me that are helping me do that spiritual practices that that god the holy spirit would use in order to teach me john 14 and remind me remind you of everything that christ everything that jesus said satan the devil is working to derail or at least delay god's redemptive plans in you through you in us through us. He is a defeated enemy. The power of God is far and and away surpasses his and yet derail, delay, little wins here and there is what he is after. And I don't want to see any of you derailed. I don't want to see his purposes delayed in your life. What, what, What I pray for is that we would be disciplined we would be equipped we would be trained we would be fit and ready and capable i pray that 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 you would be a dangerous warrior in god's army that those around you would say i am so glad that she is beside me she knows how to hold her shield high She is a skilled warrior. He is a skilled warrior. I am glad that we get to do this life together because I see that he and she, we're we're, we're serious about being God's instrument in the middle of what he has placed us. Will you bow with me? Holy Spirit, would you come and continue to teach us This morning? There there are some things that you want us to remember and we are just inviting you again to stir in us those things. Maybe you want to prompt me concerning a, a threat that would derail my faith. Would you speak your words of warning to my heart? Lord, there may be places that the devil has successfully delayed God's purposes in me, around me, in us, through us. Would you make us aware of that, that we could stand against those delays in the name of Jesus? Holy Spirit, come, teach us. Remind us of everything that Jesus said. Friends, we tend to be forgetful. What what things would you put in place in your life that would help you remember, would help you stay present to this reality that Paul is calling us to attend to? We're just gonna stay in a position, a posture of prayer. Jesus knew that we were forgetful. That's part of the reason why he said, When we gather, but we need to remember what he has done for us. Uh, The communion table becomes essential, a gift from him to us, that, that as we gather together, we would encourage one another you and me, the Holy Spirit meeting with us. And and that in this posture, as we are taught and as we are reminded, Jesus would be elevated among us once again. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread from the Passover table and he broke it. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is for you. At home, here, Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Let's us eat together. And he took the cup from the Passover table and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And so we drink in remembrance of what he's done. Lord Jesus, as we are taught, as we are reminded, as we hear Paul's words and his encouragement to engage, to be fit and ready and engage in the spiritual battle that is going on around us. Continue to feed us, Jesus. Continue to nourish us. And I pray, oh God, that we increasingly would discover what it means to be mighty, mighty in battle glory of Jesus, equipped by you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the armor that you have given to us. Thank you for your presence with us. And I thank you for the weapons of warfare that would include the song of deliverance that we would sing, the worship and praise that we would insist upon in every time, in all times, in every circumstance.